language, there's actually a whole verb casing called the prophetic perfect, where somebody acts as if something is in the present tense that hasn't been in the present tense yet. It's prophetically already happened, although you haven't seen it lived out. And that's where hope comes in. That's where faith comes in. And that's where trust in the Lord comes in. When you believe right now that God will do what he said he would do, even though it hasn't even remotely happened yet. Faith isn't something that's seen every day. Faith takes courage. It takes action without having evidence of the promised outcome. Pastor Daniel will tell us today that following God takes believing beyond what we think we can endure. We do have examples to draw from, though. God asked the Israelites to trust Him on numerous occasions and always came through for them. Today, we can trust God to do exactly what He's promised. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 3 with part 2 of his message, Crossing Over. reminded what it says in Romans chapter 8 where it says for as many as are led by the spirit of God these are the sons of God or the sons and daughters of the children of God and we do not want to lead we want to be led and the greatest leaders are those who are willing to be led by the king of kings and the lord of lords are you getting out ahead of Jesus today Now, I know nobody ever wants to say, yeah, I am. But like, if we say, Lord, am I out ahead of you? We don't want to lag behind him either. We want to walk as Jesus would have us walk. But until the Ark of the Covenant went, the people were meant to stay put. Why? Because God wants to make sure he's leading this processional. Now, not only that, in verse 4, we learn something really fascinating. He says, yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. So what we find here is that there's supposed to be, once the Ark of the Covenant goes, no one is supposed to get too close to it. Now, a cubit is not a unit of measure we use today. But since you'll find it all over your Bible, I'm going to explain it to you. A cubit was, this was long before they had rulers and metric and all these different things. So all of the different units of measure were often common things. So a cubit was the distance between the tip of your middle finger and the crook of your elbow. So it's about a foot and a half. So when you see 2,000 cubits, it's about 3,000 feet. So they're supposed to keep this distance. Why? There's probably a couple of reasons. First, notice that in the text it says, Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for if you have not passed this way before. See, what he's saying is that you don't know where you're going. You've never been here, but the Lord knows where he's taking you. So make sure you don't miss where God's taking you. This is why it's important not to get out ahead of the Lord, to wait on him and say, Lord, I'm going to let you lead and I'm going to follow you. But also, I think that there's this need for distance because I believe that God always wants to remind us of the sacredness of who he is and his holiness. See, they were not to have a casual or a careless intimacy with God but they're meant to walk with a profound spirit of respect. 
Now, I think this is important because Jesus invites us not just to be servants, but to be friends. But we also have to remember who we're friends with. And I think that in our casual culture, it's become really common for people to talk about Jesus, who's like, you know, Jesus is my homeboy. You ever see that little guy? The thumbs up. Some of you guys have that on your windshield. Now, I think it's cute culturally, but Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So even though he's your friend, he's so much more than just your bro that you hang out with. Does that make sense? So we want to make sure that we experience all the intimacy and the deep friendship that we get to have. But we also realize who he is. You know, and it's funny. I'll give you a great example of this. So my dad is my dad, right? And so, you know, I'm 41. My dad's in his early 70s. And I remember when my dad first came to visit Crossroads, he's like, so do I have to call you pastor when I'm there? And I started laughing. And I'm like, well, I am your pastor, you know. You know, I was talking about my gift of sarcasm. And so it was, you know, coming out. And I remember, and I'm like, dad, no, it's like, I'm your son. But it was funny when he was here and he met people. He's like, well, you know, Pastor Daniel's my son. And I remember hearing me, I'm like, oh, you know, and I, I call, I'm like, I heard you call me Pastor Daniel. He's like, well, I realized that you're one of the pastors at Crossroads. And so I wanted to honor that office, but, you know, I still change your diapers, so I'm not going to call you pastor at all, <laughs> you know? And it was just a great moment because there's an intimacy of relationship, but there is also the reality of who somebody is. And so you realize that oftentimes relationships exist in different spheres. And so we want to have the the deep friendship and intimacy. Like I've been thinking a lot about that where Jesus says, I don't just call you servants, I call you friends. When I read it, it really grabbed my heart because I started thinking to myself, when was the last time I heard someone say, I'm a friend of Jesus? Because it's one thing to be a follower of Jesus, it's another thing to be a friend of Jesus. And I started thinking, Jesus is like, no, I don't just call you servants, I call you friends. And so I'm like, do I consider myself a friend of Jesus? And it made me rethink the relationship a little bit. Because it's one thing to be a follower of Jesus. Another thing, yeah, I'm a friend of Jesus. And so in this case, they're meant to be reminded that God is the sovereign and holy creator and sustainer of all things. And that there is a separation. Now, obviously, this is before Jesus came and tore the veil. And so the relationship exists a little bit differently as now we get to call ourselves children of God, redeemed by the blood of Jesus. But that distance is important. Now, and what's powerful is that Joshua, first the commanders go, the captains and the officers went, and then in verse 5, Joshua speaks, sanctify yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And that word sanctify literally means to be set apart as holy. You could use the word holy-fy with an H, H-O-L-I-F-Y. I don't think that's a real word. I just made it up. But the idea is that word sanctified, it comes from the Latin word sanctus, which literally means to be set apart. And we have to realize that you and I, because of who Jesus is, have been set apart. Set apart as distinct, as unique, as uncommon. I always use this example of this because I find it to be really powerful, especially as a parent of small kids. Some of you have fine dining china at your house, like the nice plates. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I remember someone was like, do you want china? I'm like, no. You know, because what am I going to do? I'm not a fine dining kind of guy. I just stick the food on there. I don't care what it's on. I'll eat it off the table, right? Anyway, but it's like, so like if you're having like your six-year-old's birthday party, right? 
Do you serve pizza and hot dogs and cake on your fine china? Why not? Because it's fine china, right? You give them the paper plate. Sometimes you get them with a little character on it or whatever. Why? Because you know that if you give them something nice, they're going to break it. And you don't want to ruin something that's special. In the same way, if you are a friend of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus... You are set apart for a specific usage. That china is designed for special occasions, for special meals, not for the common things. And the problem is today is many of us don't think of ourselves that way. We don't think of ourselves, I am not paper plates that get used once and tossed away. I am a son or daughter of God. And I'm set apart by him for very specific reasons. Not just to be normal. I am not normal because I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why as the followers of Jesus, we live differently because we realize we are not common anymore. And he says, look, I want you to set yourself apart. Why? Because God is going to do wondrous things among you. When I read that, I started to think to myself, I wonder if many of us don't experience the wondrous things that God wants to do in our lives because we're not setting ourselves apart. We're not choosing to say, I'm just not going to be like everybody else. I'm not going to think about myself the way everyone else does. I'm going to let the Bible inform it. I'm going to let Jesus inform that in my life. And when you choose to Set yourself apart. You end up like Moses, who instead of setting up his tent within the camp, everyone's within the camp and Moses is setting up outside the camp. But Jesus, the Lord is meeting himself, not inside the camp, but outside the camp. And everyone's watching the glory of God come over Moses' tent. And they're all being like, wow, but Moses is not where everyone else is. He's outside. And what I want to encourage you is I want you to live your life set apart in the midst of this world. Because I believe that Jesus wants to do a work in this generation unlike anything the world has ever seen. Why? Because we are one day closer to his return than we've ever been before. And I believe that unless we set ourselves apart, we will never be able to be in step with what he's doing. Too many of us want to think of ourselves as just like everybody else. And I'm here to tell you, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are completely set apart. But we have to live that way. We have to make decisions to be different. We have to be willing to be ridiculed and maligned. We have to be willing to be thought of as weird in some ways. But God did tell us that we are his peculiar people. So get on with that with your bad selves. In verse 6, Joshua says, Then Joshua spoke to the priest saying, take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. And so they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. In verse 7, And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. 
Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from each tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off and the waters that come down from upstream and they shall stand as a heap. Okay, now you start to get that there's a crescendo that's coming. This thing is building in a certain direction. The officers go through, everyone say, listen, man, okay, you know, when the Ark of the Covenant goes, you got to go, but stay far away. And all this stuff is going on. And Joshua's explaining it to the people, right? And now it says, the Lord comes and speaks to Joshua. And he says, look, I'm going to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. See, what's going on now is the crossing over of the Jordan that's going to happen is going to solidify in the lives of the people that just as God was working in the life of Moses, now their new leader is anointed too. Right? And so he tells them, command the priests who bear the ark, saying, when you come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So the idea here is that when you get up to the Jordan River, they're supposed to walk on in. Now, again, so um, the Jordan River was not like a little stream that you pass over when you're hiking, right? And so they were literally supposed to get into the Jordan River, right? And then Joshua tells the children of Israel that this is what's supposed to happen. And what I love about the way Joshua speaks to the children of Israel is I love all the names of God. I'm one of those people because the Bible is not primarily just a book about people. It's really a book about the Lord, who God is. And I love when I see all these variations on the name. Notice what it says, verse 9. The words of the Lord your God. Verse 10, the living God. Verse 11, the Lord of all the earth. Verse 13, the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. See, Joshua is a good leader because he tells the people who the Lord is. Now notice, the Lord your God. That was the first one, right? Notice the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, right? When you find Lord with all caps, that literally means the personal name of God, what we know as Yahweh uh, in more of the Shakespearean time, they called it Jehovah. What is it? It's these four letters. A yud, a hey, a vuv, and a hey. Yud, hey, vuv, hey. Say yud, hey, vuv, hey. Go ahead, go. You didn't know you could speak in tongues, but now you know. Now, it's, the idea is that it's these four Hebrew letters. Now, people today would say it was Yahweh, but back in the day, they didn't know what the name was because the Jewish people wouldn't say the personal name of God because they felt it was too holy. They really wanted to honor the commandment, don't take the Lord's name in vain. So they would call this personal name of God, the Yod, the He, the Vav, and He, they'd call him Hashem, which literally means the name because they didn't want to say his name. Right? So what they did was they would take these four letters and they put the vowel pointings for the word Lord or Adonai. You put it, that's how you get Jehovah. Right? So everyone write all that down. You got that? Impress your friends. Anyway, so the personal name of God is God revealing himself as the I am who I am who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. So you have this idea of Yahweh Elohim, the Lord your God. Right? And then by this you shall know that 
The living God is among you. So this is a God who is alive, not a God who is distant, not a God who is dead. The philosophers at the end of the 19th century, into the 20th century, still many people say that God is dead. We don't need God because we have science, right? People say that stuff. That's when science becomes a religion, when it's not based on fact. It's based on someone's desires to control you with information. You have to know that. Don't ever be somebody who is anti-science. You know why? Because science, it's based on observation. So science is humanity's attempt to understand what God has done. But we should always reject when science journeys into religion. Right? Because really what that is, that's a power play to control. You just use their own ideas. You just use the right, well, that's just a power play. You're saying that what I really want is I want to have power. I don't want the Lord to rule over me. I don't want to have to pretend that my life, or I don't want my life to be accountable so I'm going to tell like God isn't real. But you know what the Bible calls God? The living God. And what I want to tell you is God is just as living today as he was in the days of Joshua. He's just as alive today as he was in the days of Elijah and David and Jesus and the disciples and the book of Acts. Jesus is alive today. God is the living God and he is at work in your life. I always love that verse in the Psalms that says, I would have lost heart if I did not believe I would see the hand of the Lord in the land of the living. I've once heard it said that if you can't see God in everything, then you won't see him in anything. God's fingerprints are all over everything in your life. He is doing work and we know him as the living God. Let the living God breathe fresh life into your life. That's what God is inviting us into. I'm going to share my life with you. That's what he says. That's what he wants to do. So he calls him the living God. And he says, listen, you will know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you all the ites, the Canaanites and the Jebusites, Hittites, Perizzites, Gergesites, Amorites. That's how you know that God's in a hip height. Right there. Never mind. <laughs> You'll think about it. Like, oh, I get what he was saying. Anyway, the idea here is that God, without fail, will do what he's promised to do even though he hasn't done it yet. See, you want to understand faith? Faith is believing in the present what hasn't happened as if it's already happened. Faith is living right now that God will do what he said he would do even though you haven't seen him do it yet. I love this. That without fail, he'll do it. Not maybe if you're good, he'll do it. No, God is absolutely, even though they haven't even stepped foot in the promised land, they haven't had one of these battles yet. Without fail, God's going to do it. That's what faith is. Faith is believing in the present what hasn't happened as if it already has. You know, in the Hebrew language, there's actually a whole verb casing called the prophetic perfect, where somebody acts as if something is in the present tense that hasn't been in the present tense yet. It's prophetically already happened, although you haven't seen it lived out. And that's where hope comes in. That's where faith comes in. And that's where trust in the Lord comes in. When you believe right now that God will do what he said he would do, even though it hasn't even remotely happened yet. And you live with that settled faith in who the Lord is. Now, not only that, it says in verse 11, behold the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. So now he's not just the living God. Now he's the Lord of all the earth. Now, what does the word all mean in the Bible? All means all. The Lord of all the earth. Is there any part of this earth that's not the Lord's? What's the answer? No. You know what the Psalms say? The earth is the Lord and all of its fullness. It's all his. 
He is God of all things, right? This is so powerful. I mean, I just love the Bible. Doesn't that just make you happy that he's the Lord of all the earth? That everything, it's all his. It's all in his hand. In him, we live and move and have our being. It's all the Lord's, right? And it says that the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves, verse 12, 12 men of the 12 tribes of Israel, one man of every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the water of Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off and the waters shall come down from upstream and they shall stand as a heap. Wow. Didn't something like this happen for Moses? Remember when God parted the Red Sea, as we know it commonly, the Sea of Reeds. Now, the priests are going to step in and God is going to stop the waters. So God goes back to acknowledge, to show them that God is with Joshua, just as he was as Moses, by stopping the waters once again. Now, look what it says in verse 14. It says, so it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan that the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that was beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down into the Sea of Arabia, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people that crossed completely over the Jordan. Wow. So what we have here, everybody, the stage is set. When the priests get up to the Jordan River, it says they dipped in the edge of the water. So they put it, but then there's this little note. Notice, for the Jordan River overflows all its banks during the whole time of the harvest. So what this is, is this is the Bible saying, listen, it's not like it was the dry season and the Jordan River was like a little thing. It's like, this is the point. It's in the middle of the barley harvest. The river is at flood stage. So them crossing over the Jordan River at this time was the least strategic time for them to cross over. Jesus is God doesn't do anything half-heartedly. He performs miracles in the most unlikely of circumstances and did so again in today's message. The people of Israel were finally entering the land promised to them long ago, but to do so, they needed to cross a river that was not only full, it was overflowing. Pastor Daniel shared that the people followed God's instructions, crossing safely as they witnessed God's powerful miracles. 
Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us today for Jesus is Real Radio. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when God instructs the Israelites to set up a memorial of remembrance. God had already done so much for his chosen people and as they moved forward in his promise, they needed to know where they came from. Pastor Daniel will encourage us to set up reminders in our lives as well. These will help us to remember all God has done for us, especially when difficulties arise. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Conquest. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.